Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are. On our phones. And in the language we speak. And yes, you know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl Think of the Podcast. We are back with kind of a, a different episode in a, in a way because our interview was done in person. While we are in D.C. and as promised from Yesterday's top stories, we will be diving into some of the tea that we experienced being in D.C. last week. And also for context, if you want to know why we were there, you have to listen to top stories because we explain in full. So just not going to repeat it, you know, mm, yeah, for all just those top like, It would be a good use of time. So we're yeah. just trying to be cognizant of that, you know, make sure everyone gets the most bang for their buck. And that's what we got to say. But we did mention, and this will be the only little tidbit that we share, is that we did create a note, a DC note of all of our experiences. And I have to say, I want to do this for every trip I go on. Like, not just, like, I love that we did this because we have the memory of flies. Specifically. Literally. Me. Specifically me too. No, it's really bad. <laughs> I'm like, I need to go to brain camp because I don't remember my life. Wait, that actually, you said that when we were on the trip and I had never heard you say that before. And I was like, this is an I iconic phrase no and then like, it just like when I got back to I got dinner with my friends and I had been traveling like literally all day and my friend was like you don't remember that I was, she was like it was like three weeks ago I'm like listen I just got off a flight first of all so I'm gonna hopefully blame it on that but like I also just need to go to brain camp like I'm working on it I'm gonna work on some supplements do some research see what I need to do eat some carrots totally. I don't know what the vibes are but Totally. Well, I mean, that'll be great for the eyesight. I can tell you that your girl's blind because when we were at the shindig, I was trying to look at people's name tags, which, oh my God, I will say, I love a name tag. It is so freaking helpful. The amount of, is. This is an interesting difference between what I feel like New York and DC in so many ways. If you go to an event in New York, any event I've ever gone to, no name tags. You're like looking around like, I don't know who you're on your own is. kid. You're totally, <laughs> totally. You're solo dolo. You're like, fuck, who am I talking to? Who is someone like you literally have no idea. So like at a networking style event, that would be really helpful to know, especially if you're meeting so many people at once. And it's just interesting, like DC, all about the name tags. They're on it. They get it. It's like a pro networking environment. Well, because it's like there's really so many. There's yeah. probably so many of those events all the time of like totally. their networking type events in the political space. And so they they've got it down to a T there. But I will say also the name tags. I'm like, I didn't really know the etiquette as far as like, okay, so I'm gonna like look down at everyone's left breast at their <laughs> name tag and be like, do you read it? Like and be like, so you're so people were doing do it to still- us. You still ask for their name? Do you still say, what's your name? Like, even though it's right on their chest, you know? Like, oh, a thousand percent. I think you do. You're like, hi, my name is. Like, I think you start with your own name. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's yeah, the fair. assumption. I also caught a lot of name tag glances. I was doing, but what I was going to say of being blind is I literally was like squinting <laughs> looking at name yeah, tags. Same. And that was just, I will say that one of the days I was not caffeinated pre going to the events and I like this shows how much I need caffeine to thrive and survive. Oh, literally I wrote. So you know how the, the name tags are in like a little plastic bindery thing that you, you know, magnetize onto yourself, whatever. And I, instead of writing on the little piece of paper in it that you're supposed to, you know, put your name (laughs) on or whatever, I wrote on the plastic thing with permanent marker. So I mean, no one was getting that. Well, I lost mine like in the first 10 minutes. 
which might be a fault of the product that it fell off so easily. Mm. I don't know, but I don't know where that thing went. It just, it just dropped right off my body, but back to the note of it all. It really is like a little mini journal and, and we need, we need this in our life. We're so cute guys. Now we're journaling. Yeah. We're journaling. Anyways, I feel like we can get into it. Let's get into it. Let's. This isn't also like tour. our capital tour. Let's definitely start there because that was that was our first day mm-hmm. in DC, and our good friends on Eric Swalwell's team have been amazing at hooking it up and got us a capital tour, and their staff assistant, sweet sweet Joel. sweet sweet young man Joel, Joel. did this an is a incredible Joel job. podcast, hundred percent. He. literally knew all the fun facts I was and apparently this is like a prerequisite and an onboarding training basically that staff assistants and interns do on the hill is you basically have to know how to give capital tours like the actual capital tour guides and know where every little like plaque is what every statue means what all the artwork symbolizes and like all of the things which is just maybe would have been a deterrent for me Honestly, try and work on that. I'm like, I can't memorize things. I was going to say that goes right back to our fly-like memory because mm-hmm. he told us so many amazing fun facts and we were like going through and I was like, whoa, that's really cool. Saving that fun fact for later. And you know what? There's only one that I remember and it's because it has an embarrassing story attached to it. And it was basically in one of the main corridors or the rotunda corridors. What am I? is there's a painting that has a little patch on it. Mm-hmm. And basically some staffer was on the top. There's like a spot all the way up on the rotunda that people, they need super, What you need like a very layered amount of access to get up there. But used to be that you could get up there all the time, have meetings, little, you know, cigar and chit chat moments, whatever. Also for people with fear of heights like me, I looked up and went, ha ha, that would Literally never Literally same, I would have been like, no. It's painting. so high up. Yeah, like- and it's narrow. You can tell how narrow it is up there, and you couldn't. I would have enough. been starfishing. What is what is starfishing? Oh, and you're like you like literally like just starfish against a wall just because you're so afraid. <laughs> That's me. Like every time my fear of heights kicks in, I'm just like, yeah. My one one story of the situation. So I guess some staffer back in the day was up on the the rotunda starfishing area and decided to see how high up a bouncy ball would go. And the bouncy ball was like thrown down and it bounced and hit one of the paintings and ripped a hole in one of the paintings. They had a patch and fix it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say another fun fact, actually rotunda fun fact that was so interesting was that the person who painted the very top of the ceiling, the big ceiling painting literally stop had to stop and, didn't complete the job because he was so afraid of falling into his death because it's so high up that, oh, is it like years or like even decades later, they had to finish it. Somebody Mm -hmm. else finished it. So that was crazy to me. And that would be something I would fully do. Be like, I'm not going any further at this point. Um, But back to, okay, back to Joel. Joel kicks off our tour. We start in the Capitol offices building where all of the representatives have their literal offices where their staff works essentially. And then they basically go back and forth to Capitol Hill in the house chamber to vote and such. And you think like, oh, they just like pop out across the street, go to the Hill. No, there are secret tunnels that connect these office buildings to the house chamber. And so because we started in the office building, we got to go through the tunnels to get to the hill, which was really cool. I kind of felt like we were like, you know, have you ever been like down below at like a concert or a sports game where there's like where all the like players and stuff like go to their locker rooms? Like, have you been like in like a lower chamber of like a stadium? I, hmm? I'm not sure. I want to say no, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just gave me that too because like whatever. When you're walking down there, you never know who you're going to see. Like, is Steph Curry going to walk out? Who knows? And that was essentially the vibe. So we're going through the tunnels with Sweet Joel. And he's, you know, giving his little speech and telling us all his fun facts and doing his thing. All of a sudden, someone rounds the corner. Mm -hmm. 
And that someone was none other than Madison Cawthorn. And we were all a bit stunned. Sam and I obviously very much stunned, but I think Joel was a little bit stunned too, but like he kept his game face on and like kept his performance going essentially, which bravo to Joel for that because Sam and I could not keep our shit together because Mm -hmm. literally we had, we're probably not even five minutes into this tour and it really into being like in DC and the first like person we see of any type of political stature madison cawthorn it was honestly because it's a little bit like what celeb sighting yeah versus something and i don't know because to me like also have never been like a go up to a celebrity person i honestly don't even see them or spot them very often and not that he's a positive celebrity obviously but it was like one of those things where you're just like oh this is real He's yeah. a legitimate person. He was speeding on by. I think. Oh my gosh. He, we are saying like he was obviously in his wheelchair and it was, what's it called? When it's automatic, it wasn't like he was wheeling it. So he was going really fast. And I was like, this is kind of dangerous. He was just going at the speed of light in that thing. And we both like looked at, I, I did you make eye contact with him? Because I looked yep, at him. Direct. Yeah. Direct and he, eye he, like, to eye. Yeah, he like looked up at us and then like gave us a little nod. And mm-hmm. then Sa- I turned back to Sam and like I I knew when I turned back to Sam, she was like, don't fucking look at me, Maddie. <laughs> because I was like, and then probably for the next five to 10 minutes, I couldn't keep my shit together. Like I was mm-hmm. trying so hard. And then when I finally like calmed my mind down, he it would pop back up. And like that, di- that did not just happen. That did not just happen. It was one of those things that was just so funny. Can't even fully explain why. You definitely kind of had to be there. Just be like in this moment. Mm -hmm. But I genuinely have never had a harder time keeping my shit together. And like Maddie said, like her looking back at me, I was like, don't, don't you dare. (laughs) But it also like Joel was like a little bit in front of us. Yeah, Yeah. Joel was a little bit in front of us. And like, I think he was trying to keep his shit together too. Because like he's a staff assistant. So he probably doesn't see like as many people like he doesn't he's not allowed to go on the house floor or anything so i'm sure he obviously has tons of sightings but it's you know i think it's rare like who you really see and and it's just like the fact that one of the people we talked the most shit about was the first person first sighting that we had this is why like when we ended up on a call and (laughs) the dccc was on the call and if there's someone that talks a lot of shit about the DCCC and their marketing, it is me. It is us. Yeah. So, yeah, that was – it was one of those types of moments where you're like, huh, well, this is funny. But that was probably, like, the so the biggest moment that had us just fully on the floor. But, like, we kept going through our, our tour. First of all, if anyone has never done the Capitol Hill tour – I couldn't suggest it more. I thought it was so cool, so so interesting. I was like in awe the whole time. It was just so cool being in there. But like there's so many things I didn't know about the Capitol Hill building. And it was seriously like incredible experience. So highly suggest if you guys are in D.C. to go do that because it's it's up there. Also, to do that, just FYI, you there is a visitor center, but you should go through your representative's office. So most, it can be your congressional rep, it can be your senator, but you can check on their dedicated websites. There will be a drop down on tours at visiting DC. So go check it, that situation out. But we do have to also point out another really cool experience mm-hmm. that we were really lucky to get to have. And that was that we got to be in the Senate gallery. Seriously, that was also really cool. And they were voting. We didn't know what they were voting on at the time because they like take your phones and they even take like your any type of electronic you have. Apparently they take your chapstick. Maddie was really on about the chapstick. I was like, what am I going to do with chapstick? You're um, overhydrate your lips. Which means you'll be able to speak louder and say no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we basically sat in like that upper chamber and watched for a little bit. And they were, again, we weren't sure what they were voting on, but they we ended up finding out it was a different Supreme Court justices. And we saw had some sightings in there as well. So mm-hmm. one of the first, well, Amy Klobuchar was like there the whole time we were in there. Yeah. She was really having a star moment. 
yeah, I think she she was trying to, you know, get some shit done, probably. Yeah, whip, whipping it together. Whipping it together. And then shortly after, we noticed another person that we regularly talk about on this show. The Gobbler. The Gobbler. Cockblock Cock McConnell. McConnell. Yeah, he was right on the Senate floor right when we were getting in there and just seeing him in person was also a bit of a mind fuck just yeah did you say he was shorter or taller than you expected he was shorter than i expected and granted like we were coming we were from an above vantage point yeah so grain of salt with that but he just felt like shorter smaller to me than i expected Yeah. And also this whole thing was really interesting. Like I kind of felt like we were like at a play or like watching like a mm-hmm. wax museum or situation. Or like it was like a fishbowl. Yeah. Totally. Like it was almost it, okay, you know what one of those situations, like the one way glass. I guess that could be like a fishbowl situation. But it almost yeah. felt like they couldn't see us. I mean, I don't think they were paying attention to any of us by any means, but one of those scenarios where like it really felt like they oh also didn't even know we were there. You you didn't well you know because you read the Hunger Games book but for anyone who also watched and knows the reference of when they're training in front of like the donors and trying to get the donors in Hunger Games to like give them stuff and Katniss does her like bow and arrow whatever and how they're up in that like upper chamber it was like that where except for like they didn't look up at us whatsoever because they're just so used to used to this scenario so I think that was really weird it was like. Mm If I was in there, I'd be like, who's up there? Just take a few looks, you know, but there's nothing. Totally. Yeah. Like, are we watching TV or are we here in person? Like, I, I can't. Out of body experience. This. Yeah. But it was also interesting, like the business they were doing, there was no debate. So they were all, vo- it was like a voting period. So they literally would just like come in, give a thumbs up or thumbs down. And they'd be like, Senator Rubio, nay. And then he'd just like walk right out, which was like interesting. But I think mm-hmm. it's just like given the business at hand and at the stage in the legislative process they were at so they were all voting on these justices and it was also interesting to see who voted which way especially in retrospect after we figured out what they were voting on like these justices it's like unless it's something like really kind of high profile there's not really any reason to like vote fully against some of these people especially given that there there's so many justices that they have to appoint and so there was like pretty much bipartisan support on a lot of yeah on this whatever they were voting on or whoever they were voting on but the people who voted no were the classic like party line gop like loyal just constant no voters who never budge or compromise on anything rubio mcconnell you know, so it was interesting to see that. That's like literally they could be voting on fucking world peace and they would still vote no. That is a fact. But yeah, that was interesting. I also would like to say that John Tester is absolutely the personality that you see like in TV moments and articles. Like he is absolutely a hoot. Mm-hmm. And I want to be best friends with him. So we're going to Montana. Mm-hmm. We're going oh, I want to go to Montana to... anyways. So love that. What, are, what should we do in Montana? Be in nature. Okay, that's fair. Does this mean I have to ride a horse? I would love to ride a horse. Montana. Yellowstone vibes. Also, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren, we saw mm-hmm. come in. She was wearing a boot on her foot. No. If anyone knows the story of what happened, she's got a little injury. But she we we were saying she looked fully Great. elegant per usual just she just has this vibe glided. about her yeah it totally just totally glided she was wearing purple which is one of my fave colors so obviously we love a moment like that but she just she looked amazing amazing mm-hmm. in purple yeah Go Liz. no it was also funny something we pointed out too was amy klobuchar and like some of the other senators and elizabeth warren it's it was funny because it was like i feel like i've seen them in these outfits hundreds of times and you know like in a cartoon show and like the cartoon character like goes to their closet everything that's hanging is the same exact um outfit just because like in cartoon characters never change outfits it was like is that what it's like <laughs> like they have their go-to like color and looks that they wear like every day and then like obviously for like a state of the union or you know the inauguration they'll, they'll change it up do some like fashion diplomacy 
Totally. Well, I wonder if that's a thing in terms of how they decide to buy their closets and shop. (laughs) You know what I mean, though? Like something totally. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's reasonable enough, right? You're trying to have some type of consistency with your voters, have some recognition. So what does that look like? That includes like what you what you wear. Curious if it integrates into their day-to-day outfits. Mm -hmm. We'll have to ask at some point. But another sighting, speaking of sightings, we'll deviate from the Capitol Hill tour for a second because we literally saw Joe Biden. I already already forgot. This story was actually pretty wild because we this is like our last day. Sam was going to the airport in like an hour. And we are walking around all the monuments, Lincoln Memorial. And we're just like walking across the street, heading over like to the mall where all the museums are. And you notice like all these cop cars show up. They're like kind of yelling and it seems like something like maybe had happened, like a little accident or something. And right when we're walking up is like they officially like block off the sidewalk or the crosswalk. Nobody can go. And I, we noticed like some motorcycles like in the distance coming our way. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like fully a motorcade or whatever it's called. Is that what it's called? Yes, yes, yes. And we were like, who could be? Who could it be? Because also the French president was there that week for their big dinner. I was like, maybe it's him. Like, who knows? And then I, I like kind of was thinking, like, it probably is Joe Biden because I don't think anyone else gets this treatment except for the president. So they come driving through all the motorcycles and then the like legit cars come. The limos, the limos of the limos. prestige. Yeah, with all the you know flags on them Bells and such. And, whistles. and the first one that goes by, I look in the windows and I, I didn't see him. And then the second one that goes by, Joe. Joe. And, and I think he was by himself. scarf. Yeah. He was just giving Grandpa Joe. And it was adorable. And Maddie has the video. We have a video because we were like, it's, okay, well, let's try to capture this as right, something happens. Totally. For once, we were vlogging. For once. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> you can hear like our absolute like loud screeches and everyone else around like wasn't excited except for us. No, because everyone else was like literally on a run in the middle of the day scenario. Like it was really just us that were tourists with a capital T. Tourists with a capital T. And honestly, it was pretty cool. It was just it was our version of seeing a celebrity. Well, it was like the timing was just version. Also, you don't really get that. Nobody, you don't really get that as a tourist, even. Yeah, and also I will say. I did not pick up on what was going on at all. Like, I don't know if it was the New York in me that there's just always chaos around. So I was like, you're like another siren. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And you were like, "Mm, no, no, no. Something's happening. I was like, la, la, la. There's a moon and a sun. You know, I was like, (laughs) if you hadn't said anything, I would have walked right into the middle of the street and got hit by the fucking motorcade. So (laughs) Joe Biden hit Samantha. (laughs) It's the end of Girl in the Gov as we know it. That would really... Thanks, Biden. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That's. Um, but no, that was a very special moment. We were like. Yeah, it was cool. That was cool. That was cool. But I feel like one other thing we have to touch on and then we will get into this episode is the Spouses Association. That was <gasps> a mind fuck. And I feel like you would need to explain this. You explain oh, my God. Better than me. It honestly makes so much sense in so many ways. So we were talking with one of our friends who's actually coming on the podcast, Vivi, soon. So stay tuned. But anyways, he was just, you know, giving us all the insights, the tea, whatever. And the question of what was like something that really surprised you coming and working in DC? Like what was one of those things that just absolutely was like, holy moly, guacamole. And his answer was the power that these spouses have in getting stuff done, especially in a bipartisan way, because apparently all of the spouses are BFFLs, like literally besties, mm-hmm. the full nine yards. And that's or they like probably like the each other. Or, well, I, look, it's definitely some real housewives shit in there, literally. Right, exactly. And house husbands, same thing. But nonetheless, all these spouses are in what is the spouses association. And they're basically like proxy lobbyists because mm-hmm. apparently, the, apparently, damn it, I'm fucking giggling over here. So apparently 
that's just going to be stuck in my head all day. Anyways, that's how bipartisan stuff actually passes. It'll be like, oh, well, we, I don't want to piss off Patty because I'm going to see her later for dinner. And then the kids have a play date. And well, yeah. Joe and I are playing golf later. So honey, please don't mess, you know, don't create any tension. Apparently the most attended luncheon ever is the first lady's luncheon because that's where all the spouses go and meet each other for the, some of the first times and also network with one another, Yeah, which is super interesting. Well, and he said will- they also have like policy agendas and like are very involved and political and like want to see shit get done and like they're low-key behind a lot of the shit that we see and and like are really really powerful and like nobody knows and or at least nobody outside of dc knows and i will say it goes to show like how much if you're going to be in politics you need to be with someone that like makes you a political power couple because mm, you that makes really can't just be so much more important right because that just means you can't be i mean date whoever you want love whoever you want but if you want to make stuff happen in dc and i'm sure i'm curious if this is a state level situation as well so we'll have to ask some of our state and local reps as they come on the show too if this is a thing as well but you really have to be with someone that wants to go to the events, that wants yeah. to network with all these people, that thinks it's important, that wants to get these policy issues across the finish line as much as you do because they are an integral part. I also will say yeah. this very importantly because obviously we are continuing to have more and more women in office, which is amazing, but overwhelmingly we have more men. And so therefore, and straight straight white men and their partners are overwhelmingly women. Right. And oh, who's getting stuff done yet again, even behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's women. I would just. Right. Right. So, like, no, yeah. I was just like, just putting that out there. If you guys, if anyone wants to run for office, definitely think about who you're dating, who who you might marry one day, because that's going to be a big part. And I even thought about that because I was like so awe inspired being in the Capitol Hill. And I was like, what if I run for office one day? And then I just started thinking about like, all my potential suitors of men who either I want to marry or want to marry me. And I'm like, this what this couldn't work. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. handle this. Or I know you have so many skeletons in the closet that this just like you would ruin me. <laughs> oh, facts. Like there is not so, one ex of mine that I could I could tap for these scenarios. No. Not one. Not no. one. So yeah. yeah. But we were on hinge. So we were we were trying to like use hinge as a political networking tool really even need to do that because dc networking yeah was honestly like fruitful you know join our brand ambassador program because if we're networking that means you're networking Mm -hmm. do really awesome virtual networking events so you won't want to miss out on some of the ones we have in the hopper and what's to come in the new year so if you're curious if that you know piques your interest you can go to girlinthegov.com the brand ambassador page has all the details and the application so bada bing bada boom get her done and well we'll see you on the program you know yeah well Speaking of amazing people we met in D.C., mm-hmm. one of them is our guest today. And we talked a little bit about it yesterday and just how it was like one of the most powerful and moving conversations and interviews we've ever done on this show. And I hope everyone shares this because it's just a really, really awesome conversation that I hope can make some ripples as far as like getting some change on local, state and federal levels regarding gun reform and mental health. Exactly. I just want to make one note. We did say before that we did this in person. So there's actually no video this week for mm-hmm. YouTube. So this is an audio only episode. And we the audio will... is a little bit, a little bit, I'm just an audio nerd, but it's a little echoey. Sorry. We were trying to work out the kinks being in person for the first time interviewing someone, but too important to pass up. Totally. We will figure that out another day. For today, we need to get into this interview with State Representative Christine Hanshofsky, who is also the former mayor of Parkland, Florida. This conversation, like we said, was super moving. Genuinely, I think all of us were on the edge of tears multiple times, but we were really getting into the issue of gun violence. We are also getting into the issue of mental health. And what typically gets spoken about in terms of the intersections of mental health and gun violence is the perpetrator what have you know what was the status of their mental health what was impacting them what caused them to act on such violence but what isn't talked about often 
is the mental health of the communities after an incident like this occurs, like the one in Parkland, Florida. No one's talking about how the teachers cope, how the students cope, how the community copes, what the mental health ramifications are for communities like that, as well as the legislation that has resulted from seeing that exact situation. So it's a really insightful conversation from someone that genuinely you know, went through this horrific, horrific incident and what resulted from a legislative end from such a terrible time, what needs to happen going forward across the board. So lots to unpack, lots to listen to. Like we said, definitely an emotional episode. So just keep that in mind. But without further ado, here's State Representative Kanchofsky. All right. We are so excited to get into this conversation. We also saw you night one, which was amazing. Yes. yes. And we were like, you're coming on the show Friday, by the way. And I'm like, I think so. <laughs> like, I'm like, what are we talking about? about? Yeah. <laughs> which is perfect because we have so much to talk about. We have to talk about your career. We have to talk about mental health. We have to talk about gun rights in this country. All those really connect because you are currently a state rep in Florida. Mm-hmm. You are also the mayor of Parkland, Florida. Can you tell us First, before we get into those those weeds, if you will, how you got into politics, how you got into this role of public service. Yeah, not at all by design, <laughs> which I think probably makes it even a little more special. Totally. So when we moved down to Florida, it was 22 years ago. We moved down because of my husband's job. Our oldest was two. I was pregnant with our youngest. I had no family, no friends, nothing. Hmm. And so I just became very involved in the community to kind of make it our home. I volunteered everywhere I could because everybody loves a volunteer, so now you all of a sudden have friends because you're you're helping out. That is a great strategy. It's a wonderful strategy. I recommend it to anybody moving to a new location. And then somebody had asked me to go to the city commission meetings and if I would wanted to, you know, write like what was happening there. I'm like, well, I have no background in journalism or anything, but I'll try it. I didn't even know where city hall was at that point. Mm -hmm. And it was a way to learn about city government. I was on our education advisory board that had started. And so then when the seat opened up on the commission, I had a whole bunch of my friends saying to me, Christine, you have to run. Nobody knows more about how city government works and on the issues. And as is typical with a lot of women who end up running for office, I had to have a lot of people tell me, and I wasn't really sure this is what I wanted to do. I always say I'm more like the behind the scenes person, not the one in front of the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I filed my paperwork and that night I turned to my husband, I'm like, what did I just do to myself? (laughs) You know, because it's 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 so easy to hide behind a computer. It's so easy to, you know, talk about things and not be responsible for actions. Yeah. And when you, as they say, step into the arena You know, now it's a different level of accountability, especially on the local level. What I love about the local level is you get that instant feedback wherever you go, Mm -hmm. whether you were looking for it or not, (laughs) at the grocery stores, at the parks, like just random. I mean, it came to the point where my kids wouldn't go grocery shopping with me anymore. Oh, no. I don't want to get stuck in a conversation, Mom. But but it's great because you're surrounded by feedback all the time. And if you're really trying to serve the public, you need that you know, honest feedback about what are people going through. You want to hear those stories. So I ran for the city commission when the seat opened up and then our mayor of a few years later decided to run for another seat. So that seat opened up and I ended up running for that seat. And we were a small city. Like when we moved there, I think we had 16,000 people. By oh, the wow. time I became mayor, maybe we had 29, 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, very, yeah. very small. And then, so a lot of people didn't know who we are, we were. And then the shooting happened and our whole world changed, mm-hmm. like completely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we want to kind of get into that too and your time as mayor during that tragedy. Can you kind of tell us really what that was like and also kind of paint the picture of really what local government's kind of protocols are when something like that happens, like, run us through that. Yeah, well, a lot of local governments, especially smaller ones, have no protocol for that. Mm. And that's something that needs to change. Um, Even smaller governments, whether it doesn't need to be a mass shooting, whether it's any kind Mm -hmm. of 
crisis event to have really a good plan in place. We were one of the safest cities in Florida. It was completely, nobody knew where we were, you know, it's yeah. just mundane, you know, the biggest thing was, oh my goodness, we got street lights and they're too bright. Mm -hmm. You know, these were the right. issues we were dealing with. Garbage wasn't getting picked up. And now I remember getting the phone call hearing that there was a report of an active shooter at the school and I I only live around the corner from the school like my development is literally diagonally across the street and I remember saying to the city manager well do we know if it's true or not mm -hmm. or if it's just and then I heard all the emergency vehicles going by and so I knew something was wrong so I went there not very <clears throat> try to follow the rules all the time and I didn't want to be part of the problem so I stayed on the sidewalk as like parents were coming oh, and I figured my job was just to make sure that they were calm and getting information yeah. and that was one of the hardest things is because you have the response and then you don't have a lot of information yeah and you, I didn't want to be somebody passing on information that wasn't true so I was very cautious yeah about really knowing that anything I said was a hundred percent true I realized afterward that's so important in the aftermath of a crisis because school shootings aren't supposed to happen mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these things are not supposed to happen and so when they do the community kind of loses trust because they believed they were yeah. safer than they were and in order to restore that trust you have to make sure that everything you say is a hundred percent accurate yeah because people are in a very vulnerable position. But I remember when we heard it was two people who were killed, and then we heard seven. And I remember when I heard the number 11, I'm trying not to get choked up about it, that we were now that city. Mm. We were now like Columbine. We were now like Newtown. Yeah. And thinking to myself, how do we do this? Right. And one of my instant reactions as it was when I went there was, you know, we have to focus on the community. Mm -hmm. We have to focus, that's my job as the local, I was elected by the people of the city of Parkland. So my job, my purpose is to look out for them. And I didn't want to talk about the killer. I didn't want to talk about the act right? because I would always remember when we'd hear of these things, all we were ever talking about was the, the killer. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't say the name because I don't believe in adding to notoriety. And, and about all the awful things they did. And we don't talk about the impact on the people. Right. We forget that there are human beings now who've lost loved ones. There are human beings who were students who had to step over dead bodies to get out of the school i mean the trauma the trauma you had all these parents getting these text messages from their kids and their kids not sure if they were coming out alive i mean and for such a small community where we all are so interconnected yeah. you know whether we knew each other from sports kids sports or being active in the community the trauma was just magnified and yeah awful i can only imagine like it's just shocking yeah chills of that and also just thinking about then the days after and mm -hmm. what that response looks like and then trying to figure out okay what are you guys going to do to move forward and how are you guys going to solve for the future and wonder too like i feel like on the news after unfortunately one of these shootings happens it's just, just way too often they shouldn't happen at all but there's conversation of there's resources going there's therapy dogs going there's all these things that seem to be sent there but I wonder like how long does that last like trauma doesn't just go away in a day like yeah. what is that look like it feels a little bit I'm happy that's happening in any capacity but it feels like a little bit of like here's the flashy thing we're giving you and it's not really solving the problem yeah so that's a that's a great question so in the beginning you have all the news coming which is also very disruptive mm -hmm. now when some of our community sees news trucks anywhere in the city it just triggers that and yeah. the sound of helicopters triggers people mm -hmm. I was fortunate to have met Nicole Hockley whose son Dylan was killed at Sandy Hook I met her so our shooting happened a Wednesday afternoon around 221 and I met her at like 430 in the morning on Friday and I remember crying to her 
about not being sure how we get through this. Yeah. And I said my concern about the community, and she warned me that so much division comes into a community after a mass shooting, that nobody, everybody thinks, oh, look at they're all together. That lasts for a few days, and then the trauma really sets in, and people start arguing about who has more information, who got more attention, who, you know, this one suffered more than this one, who suffered the most, who has a right to be upset, who has no right to, I mean, the division, and then you add because this was 2018 you had the politics politics yeah and there is nothing emotionally healthy about anything that happens Mm -hmm. and i saw my job as making sure we would have resources so making sure that we could afford we got jag funding to help afford the police response but i focused also a lot on the trauma and then but the difficult part is in the beginning, people don't realize that they need help. I, for example, didn't get trauma therapy until probably two months later. I didn't realize how much I needed it. Yeah. And then when I went to the first session, I it was like the first time I felt like myself again. Yeah. Which was shocking to me. And then I put out actually on social media a picture of me in a therapy session and put it out to the public yeah. because I can't tell other people to do what I wasn't willing to do for myself. Right. right. And it's kind of, you have to make sure you're getting the help you need in order to be able to do the things you need to do for, you know, for the people who lost loved ones, for their families, just trying to. Mm-hmm. And we're coming up on five years in February and the trauma is still very real. Yeah. And you can see the people who've tried to get help with trauma, and you can tell when people haven't been as successful with that. There are so many people who will never be the same. Yeah. And I think that message gets lost all the time in the aftermath of these mass shootings. You you have now students and teachers who were there, when they go into a room, they're going to look where the exit is. Mm-hmm. They're going to look where the windows are because they want to make sure that if anything happens, they can get out. 100%. And it's a totally, it, it changes your view on so many things like that. And there are things that trigger, we had, it was after the shooting, there were people from our community at a mall and a balloon popped and they thought it was gunfire and they all hit, hit the floor and panicked. So. People don't understand that a lot of the PTSD that, especially young people, when their brains are still like yeah. forming and all of that, it's, I mean, it cha- it's changes people's lives forever. Mm-hmm. So there is moving forward, but you are changed forever after something like that. 100%. And we kind of talked about that the other night, you and I, and how there, that is such a missing piece of the conversation when thinking about gun violence but specifically like mass shootings and there is this conversation around mental health but it's around the shooter right and not around the devastating long-term impacts not only the people that were present that day and in that instance but their families and the community surrounding it and it's even interesting thinking about the kind of like secondhand far removed trauma of people who weren't even there and who all of us who like live in this country yeah Yeah, who live in this country are like every day afraid of like i check windows and doors wherever i go and i've never been a part of it so it's like the trauma that extends from those communities goes beyond and it's like that's never part of the conversation and it should be because i think it should be a, a real driver hopefully to reform i agree but if that piece isn't into in it then i feel like it loses a big I guess appeal to like really make it happen yeah. which again there's a lot that needs to happen on all fronts from gun reform to mental health services but I'm also curious the aftermath like continuing to talk about that I've always wondered too from when the news trucks come on the day weeks months after they stay around I would assume a little bit weeks weeks maybe yeah and then it goes away. They go on to the next. They go on to the next one, and everyone else does. And the politics happen, and then what? 
and like how do kids go back to that school where it just happened yeah how, like what are those what are those what does that look like when a community is recovering from that and everyone else leaves and now you're back with just the community no more news trucks no more national media what it's, was next it's it's hard when everybody went back to school i forget if that was 10 12 days later something like that we had the whole community come out to welcome them back to school. You had apprehension from the parents, you had apprehension from the spouses of the teachers, and it's very difficult. It's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like otherworldly. Mm -hmm. You're just, now everything has changed. How you look at things has changed. The school, I think it was close to impossible to get much done. I'm sure. Because yeah. The trauma was overwhelming. I mean, you're walking by a building that maybe you were in where you watched your classmates or your teacher get yeah. shot to death in front of you. Right. That's why I'm like, there, I feel like a solution, which would be a total Band-Aid solution, but like, it doesn't seem right to make people go back to that physical school, which I know is like easier said than done. Obviously, it take a lot of resources and go. money, nowhere else to go, but it's just crazy that you would have to do that after something like that yeah and but think about it i mean you have in in other areas where people are getting killed on the street yeah you still have to walk down the street i think we really don't focus on the aftermath of violence and then we also don't focus on the re-victimization of victims afterwards so we had a trial. Mm -hmm. Everybody had to live through that again. Right. Every time there's a newspaper story on it, everybody's living through that again. Yeah. And that's incredibly difficult. Well, we also talked about, too, the activism, because Parkland mm -hmm. specifically, a lot of the students became these really incredible activists around the movement, but we also talked about how that is traumatizing of and course. that's triggering and that's because you're living with it. burnout especially given the fact that there's no action made to solve it right so it's just like so honorable first of all that they continue to do that work but can you tell us about that about how the activism is just as triggering and you know it's hard yeah. to kind of keep that movement going when you are having to relive your experience like every day first of all they were amazing Yes. They still are amazing. Yeah. That was one of the bright spots because sometimes, you know, well, after a tragedy, everything is feels so negative. And they brought, in many ways, to so many people a lot of hope. And politically, no matter where you were on the spectrum of, of gun violence prevention, amazing what these students were able to do totally. and if you saw them in the beginning I mean they were literally just this organic group you know talking to the press and everything but re talking about what happened and the change you're reliving that day over and over again so they needed to have counselors with them to help with all of that as well Every time you talk about a trauma and relive it, it's it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm curious too, just I, I want us to talk about policy in terms of preventing gun violence as well, but in terms of where we're at in this country, where that's gonna go and how fast, who knows? But one thing that's not discussed is this mental health aspect in the aftermath. And I'm curious, like from a policy perspective, like is there anything that we can do to help there to help the after trauma to fund things that are like PTSD related programs and stuff like is there anything like that yeah I mean we have a couple of challenges one is funding for it right and then also we have fewer people going into behavioral health and then yeah and then you have the therapists so they have to be trauma trained and then they also need to have mental health support yeah. because them providing that service is also can be traumatizing mm -hmm. to them. Yeah. So when you have a community that is so impacted, I mean, there were thousands of people impacted by this, it's very hard to have enough of the resources to, to take care of all that needs to be taken care of yeah so we need to encourage more people to go into 
you know, the behavioral health services. I don't know if that means, you know, if they're going to work like psychologists in a school or wherever, mm -hmm. that we would do something where they would have less college to pay or that there would be discounted tuition or free tuition for people going into these critical need areas. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing the pandemic showed is that we do have a mental health crisis. Totally. And even people who have plenty of money and plenty of access don't know how to navigate it because it's not like you go to the doctor and then the doctor says, okay, you need to get this done, this done. Like, who do I go to? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that end, but it comes down to funding and also making sure that we have the people there doing the work. Yeah. And where would you say the funding is needed? Is needed? You're now working at the state level. I guess how, as mayor, would you kind of look to the state government, I guess, to advocate for more funding and like more policy around mental health because like you said it's like not a, it's a problem across the country and it's also a problem that like bleeds into other problems well, like and there's also a lot of stigma attached i find it so interesting that we say about you go to the doctor to get your physical every year but for some reason the brain should not be a part of that conversation right it's <laughs> crazy because literally trauma affects the brain, it changes the brain. They're showing now that some of the young people through COVID, you know, now there's been brain changes in some of the things they've experienced. So it would be good to have those mental health checkups, like you have your physical checkup. And I think also just as a society, we need to talk more about it. And if everybody's honest, either they or someone they love has been affected with mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. and. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with it is when we don't talk about it, when we're not honest about it, and we don't get the help we need. Totally. And yeah, I was gonna say too, it's just, I live in San Francisco, for example, and like how just mental health is also such a pipeline to the homelessness crisis and how Substance a lot of- use disorder. Yeah, and a lot of the problems that we see in San Francisco is that we have t a lot of money in the city, but it's not, but there's not enough beds for people who need them. And yeah. ultimately, you know, maybe they'll go to the hospital for a night and then get kind of pushed back out because they just can't be held there. And there's just no we funding do a for lot it. of crisis response mm -hmm. in mental health, but we don't do that preventative, work. foundational. Mm -hmm. And then also there are other things really. So somebody's struggling with mental health and they go to a hospital and now you find you can then treat them at home. Do they have housing? Mm -hmm. You know, do they have structure a job like there's so much more to it and we're very good at there's a crisis so let's throw money at the crisis but we need to have a better funded and established system right so that we're not always throwing money at the back end in the crisis but we're getting it earlier and it's more thoughtful thoughtful so that people are not continually coming back into Mm -hmm. Totally. And looking at Florida, and, oh, wow, guys, lost voice. <laughs> I kind of like it better, though. All right. <laughs> but in terms of looking at Florida and getting things done at the state level and putting down those base layers, how does that A work and B, you know, with the Republicans doing the Republican things, I'm kind of curious what that dynamic looks like right now and going into the next year. So it's we've been doing a lot. So I got elected to the Florida House in 2020 during COVID. Mm. Always unprecedented. Everything <laughs> I enter, it's unprecedented. And one of the first pieces of, or one of the pieces of legislation I filed was establishing a commission on mental health and substance abuse. I got it passed off the House floor. It kind of got held up in the Senate, but we were able to put it into another bill. So it passed and it's a 19 member commission. We meet regularly. Speaker made me his appointee and his Republican speaker, I'm Democrat. Mental health is a human issue. Yep. It is not a partisan issue. And I enjoy working with my Republican colleagues because when we work together on that, we bring it back to it being a human issue. Yeah. It's not political, it's not partisan. There is not a single person, as I said before, who hasn't been affected by it. So this commission is coming up with our draft recommendations that will go to the governor, the Senate president, and the speaker to 
you know, put legislation forth that's going to make our system hopefully better. One of the biggest issues that we keep coming across is this data sharing. There's not really clear if data can be shared, how it can be shared. So if somebody's going into the system through school or going into the system through jail, you don't know where they've been before and what treatments they've had before. Right. And so now you're always starting mm. in the beginning again and having a more coordinated system of care so that the money that is in the system is actually being used efficiently and not just doing, you know, yeah. checking the box. I think everything that we do, we need to do with purpose. You, know, you can either just check the box and say, well, I did it, check. And then you haven't changed anything, but when you do it with purpose and the purpose being to make sure that the individuals are getting the care they need, that's what we're working on now for draft recommendations to make that a better system and a more coordinated system. That's and um, this 19-member commission, we have judges, we have people from law enforcement, we have people who are mental health experts, we're dealing with school systems, so it's such a they're coming at it from very different directions. Yeah. And which is really important because if you're just looking at it from the court system, you're going to have one viewpoint. If you're just looking at it from the provider system, you're going to have one viewpoint. And then you have people who were recipients of services, also part of it. And so it's really good to bring all those different stakeholders mm -hmm. To, because then it's really solution-oriented and real-life solution-oriented, not like, look, we gave you a wonderful report, and isn't this pretty, <laughs> and we checked a box. Right. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that, and I think it's a great step in the right direction, and it has had unanimous support. That's really great to hear. I think sometimes my frustration, too, is when these things happen, you know, I think Democrats are usually like, gun reform mostly, but they also still like include the mental health conversation. And then Republicans are like, no, it's not guns, it's mental health. And then I, at least on the federal level, I feel like there's yeah. still a lack of action around mental health. So it's and, like, okay, and well, listen, it's all the things. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, all, it's the person. Mm -hmm. That's why one of the really remarkable things that happened after the shooting was the passing of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act. I had gone up to Tallahassee to advocate for it, red flag laws. They've been used over eight or 9,000 times in the state of Florida. Wow. You have your due process because you have to go in front of a judge. There's a court process. And it's we just want to make sure that those who wish to do harm to themselves or someone else don't have access to a weapon where the decision they're making is a final and fatal decision. Yeah. What totally. happens in those hearings? Like, what type of evidence does someone have to bring to like this person is dangerous to either themselves or other people. You know, what is that proof point? Yeah, so I'm, the, the judges determine that, but it has to go through a law enforcement officer. So they have to bring the evidence of maybe they've done threats online, maybe they've had multiple threats online. Usually there's been something very substantial because people do have a right to bear arms mm. in this country and we don't want to, you know, take away someone's right, but people also have a right to live. So it's about, it's not about saying people shouldn't have a gun, but people who wish to do harm to themselves or someone else, I- Shouldn't have a gun. They shouldn't have a gun. Mm -hmm. right. And sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes people are in crisis mm -hmm. or sometimes, you know, it, temporary. They have to go back every year. So they, it's not taken away permanently. That's such a good point. And I think should be again, a part of the co reform conversation of like, because also if you think about it, I it know there's suicide, it could be suicide. But even these shooters, they are from a certain age range. And yeah. when the brain is not developed, young men, you know, the challenges they face. But yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that should be always shared. Because again, it always comes back to they're gonna take our guns. And it's like, no, we just wanna be more thoughtful in who can get them. And especially again, you're it's, doing harm, then you shouldn't. And, but you can totally grow out of that and do the work right. mentally. But it's, even, it's even for people who are, are suicidal. Yes. You know, you're protecting them from themselves. Yeah. A red flag law with due process is just another tool in the public safety toolbox. Exactly. Period. Totally. And I'm curious what the reception in Florida was 
after that passed and went into place. And obviously a lot of people have used it, yeah. but sometimes people still like to talk shit about things that get used frequently. So what's but. so interesting is I was up there, that was such a close vote in the Senate. It, this bill almost didn't pass. And this bill had a little something for everybody, and yet it still almost didn't pass. And actually what's interesting now is it was Republican leadership at the time that drove this bill to pass. Wow. And that's what I always find so interesting is a lot of narratives we have out in the world are not actually based on what really happened. If we didn't have Republican leadership at that time, it was mostly the Democrats who voted against the bill mm. because there were other parts in there that they didn't like. And I understand where their concerns were. Thankfully, those concerns never came to fruition in real life. But, you know, I remember testifying regarding that bill and saying, I don't like everything in it, right. but we don't have the luxury to do nothing. Totally. And that's just politics for you, whether it's like who you vote for. It's like they say, it's not yeah. your Valentine. It's like yeah. somebody. It's, it's not going to be perfect. Yes. They're not going to be. What's going to move the needle forward what's a little move bit. The needle. And it was very controversial. They were getting threats, everything. And now. It was recently held up when they were talking about the Safer, Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Everybody was talking about Florida as a model. Which, like, plot twists on yeah. that situation. Well, I think, too, the, like, federal noise can really just cloud the, the good work that does happen on the state level and how there is a lot of bipartisan bipartisanship happening. It's getting less and less, yeah. but there are certain areas where it's still happening. I think what made such a difference back then is the leadership in the House and the Senate came to Parkland, mm -hmm. saw the building, mm -hmm. they saw the people and the effect, and humanity took over. Yeah. Right. And so much of what we do in politics, we forget that the policies that we pass are personal. They're personal to someone. There is a human being that will be affected by what you do. And when we get caught up in the tit for tat and you're evil, no, you're evil, we are totally not doing the work we were elected to do. 100%. And I try and always bring it back to the humanity. That's why I talk about that I had trauma therapy afterwards, because if I'm gonna talk about mental health, you know, it's, it's actually been interesting. I have people come to me all the time then afterwards and talk about struggles they've had. And I think that's great that we get to a place where when we're crafting our policy, we're remembering why we're doing it and who we're doing it for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think the question, just like the perfect spot to wrap, is how do you think we can bring humanity back into politics right now? Because I feel like we're so polarized, and yeah. you know, it's just it's a mess out there, and that is part of the missing piece. I'm just not sure how we get there. You have to be intentional. I mean, it's so easy to get wrapped up in all the oh yeah, there. I believe that happened, and it's about being purposeful. I. I remembered after the shooting, you know, really trying to understand this is what my purpose is. This is why I'm here. Never forget why you're here and who you're doing this for. Yeah. And then it's easier to kind of not get wrapped up and, and say, well, how do I connect with you? And how do we talk about why you think there's a different way to do it and I think there's a different way to do it? Mm -hmm. And often when you're able to have those conversations that are out of the press and not on social media, people's values are often pretty much aligned. Yeah. It's just they've had a different life experience than you have. Right. And so the lens is different. So maybe when you talk, when I try and talk to people about you know, the values and all that, I also want to hear how they got to where they are and not judge them that their life and their experiences were different than mine. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to come with this open authenticity in how you approach it as well. Because if you're just approaching it with, you know, you have the headlines and you have the talking points, that's not a true discussion. Yeah. Well, such a great conversation. And before we go, 
Is there also a closing out where you can kind of get people to look to either their local or state level to kind of start advocating for some of these things that we talked about today? And also, like, where can people find you on social media? Oh, <laughs> as we as we kind of dis social media. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's great. Like I started out on an advisory board in our city on the education advisory boards. A lot of local governments have advisory boards for their planning and zoning, for their parks and recreation, and that kind of stuff. So getting involved by attending meetings. A lot of them are now streamed so you can watch the meetings online. Getting involved by being part of an advisory board if there's an area that you're interested in. And, you know, reaching out also to your elected officials and say, listen, these are some of the topics I'm interested in. If they ever come up, you know, I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. So we right now are dealing with homeowners insurance. So I have different constituencies that have reached out to me in the last two years about their homeowners insurance issues and compiling all their stories and listening to all of them and that's going to help me inform me when we have these policy decisions to make. So I think it's important to reach out and don't just assume they're so busy they don't have time. I mean there are times when we get really busy especially during session where we're in the last days of it and it's no sleep and <laughs> what bill's coming at us tomorrow but mostly people are responsive local level definitely responsive and on the state level too and it's important to be responsive where you can find me i'm on facebook i'm on twitter so instagram that's I was there, sort of. I'm like not there now. I'm not really sure what to do there. We can definitely help. We can help you. <laughs> what I actually love to do is when we're up in session at the beginning of the week, I'll go on and do an Instagram, just a, one of those live yeah, you know, like reels or whatever yeah. they are, videos. <laughs> My age. And just tell people some of the things that are coming up and also some of the bills that are coming up and where they can find information on the bills and to reach out to me with any thoughts or concerns they have. That's because awesome. I think it's important that people know we do want to hear from them, mm -hmm. even if they agree or disagree with us. Totally. As long as it's done respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. That was a really, really awesome conversation. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.